Thanks for tuning in to the Palm Beach Podcast, a weekly show highlighting people making a positive impact in Palm Beach County. With your hosts, sports chiropractor and athletic trainer, Dr. James Spencer, photographer and art director, Mike Jones. Our show is brought to you by Pump House Coffee Roasters, Opportunities, Indoboard, and Lotus Trips for travel and retreats to Palm Beach County. Hello and welcome to the Palm Beach Podcast. My name is Mike Jones, sitting at Media Zone next to my co-host, Dr. James Spencer. How you doing, Spence? You know, it's always a pleasure to see you. It is. Sunny blue skies out there today. And blue waters. It is. And we have a special guest with us in the studio today. Why don't you introduce who was with us, Spence? So I'm going to start out with top 20 entrepreneurs to watch. Ash Atkinson. Welcome, bro. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure being here with you guys. Thank you for having me. And I know, uh, Spence, you live out in the Wellington area. And so you've uh, sort of crossed paths. And uh, why don't you guys kind of introduce how yeah. uh, y'all met yeah. each other? So um, uh, my business in particular is a lot of equestrians and polo athletes as well as Ash's. And uh, his farm that he works with is actually right down, probably a stone throw away from my office. Yeah. So um, that's kind of how we've linked paths. And uh, again, just sharing some common names through the equestrian and polo community has been fun, man. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's a big world, but at the same time, it's very small. Everyone kind of knows everybody. So, yeah. And, and the one thing I would like to, to showcase with you is go ahead and name drop the farm and location out in Wellington. And then let's tell us a little bit about your background and and how you got into the equestrian community. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually operate out of two farms. Uh, The one you're referring to right now is Blackwatch, which is on Pearson. Um, That's owned by a very close friend and investor of ours. Um, He invests in show jumping horses with us. And our other farm is in Palm Beach Point, and that's uh, Bourne Sport Horses. So that's my other business partner, Andrew Bourne's. Um, That's that's his business. He's an Irish guy and uh, family-run business. And that's kind of how our collaboration comes together so awesome and tell us about your background with the equestrian community yeah so um i'm originally from england i grew up in the uk i was there for the first 20 years of my life my entire family is actually still in the uk um it was just me decided that uh i wasn't the place i wanted to be there was other world out there so i grew up riding i was where i grew up it was very rural area um pretty close to newmark actually so obviously a lot of you know horse influence for me um, but my family wasn't really involved in the sport, but I just, for some reason, one day I saw somebody riding when I was probably like 10 or 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I want to try this. And from the first time I got on the horse, I was like, this is something I, I like this a lot. And, you know, I just kept going with it. And when I was 18, I decided after I finished school that this is something I wanted to create into a career. And at that time, my mom wanted me to go to college and do the, you know, the normal route that typically you're supposed to do. But I just, for me, I just, Something inside of me said this just wasn't the route to go. And that's and, as a rider? Yeah, that's yeah. a rider as in professional show jumping rider. Yeah, cool. so I focus on show jumping, so jumping horses as opposed <laughs> to racing or dressage or any of those of other course. polo any of those disciplines. So that was originally my background. And um, yeah, so from there, I was competing a lot throughout Europe. Um, I ended up moving to Germany when I was 20, just leaving literally everything behind, moving to a country that I didn't know language I didn't speak. And I ended up working for one of the largest horse breeders, producers on the world. Uh, and they breed over 5,000 horses a year. So it was wow. a fantastic opportunity to learn the sport, to ride a lot of horses, 
get thrown off a lot of horses. Yeah. Because <laughs> everything we had was, um, you know, younger horses and, you know, you got to produce them and they don't know a lot. So things happen. Well, you, know? you step out of your comfort zone too, right? You know? Yeah. You don't know the language. You don't know any, any people. And it, you know, forces you to think fast and to, you know, really open up and meet people and live life. I would like to touch on that because I know all three of us have, have lived somewhere else. And what was like, what was that driving force to get you to make that big jump? Because I know what it was for me and I know Mike's make that big, big jump to Australia as well. Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, me originally, so when I, you know, at 18, I started competing throughout Europe. So we were, my dad would drive me to the horse shows and we went to Portugal and Spain, a little bit in France. So I already had a bit of a taste for what the competition scene was like actually in continental Europe as opposed to what it was like in England. And just an opportunity came around to go work there. And I just knowing the fact that I want to pursue a career in this business, I mean, you've got to be, regardless of whatever industry business you're in, you've got to look for who is the best person I can learn from in this industry. And to go to work for um, a business like I did, which like I say is one of, you know, probably, no, it definitely is the largest equestrian facility producer of horses on the planet. I mean, that's where, <laughs> where in, else are you going to go at that point? Yeah. It's yeah. invaluable. Yeah. Um, the skills I learned there, I got paid peanuts, but in the day, the exposure, the experience, everything I've done in my life is ricocheted off of that initial experience of moving to Germany and working for, for that farm. I mean, I can say the same thing and I'm sure Mike can as well. Like, it's not worth the money and the initial investment. It's, I'm just here to learn. Yeah. Right. It was. I mean, I was working 14, 16 hours a day. I was cleaning stalls. I was grooming and then I was riding, but it was everything else as well. It was just management of the horses, learning the business. I mean, we're selling hundreds of horses a year as well. So learning the business side of the sport, how we buy, you know, how we sell horses, what horses we pick out of good ones, not what ones aren't good enough. Cause I mean, you know, we're talking, we're shifting that literally thousands of horses we're shifting through a year. So yeah. to, to learn the ins and outs of the sport at such a high level and to be around, you know, 40, 50 riders in that facility that are all have goals and have aspirations as well. It's, it was a phenomenal opportunity to network and to meet people and just to be around such a high level of the sport. So. And at that point, were you still thinking, I'm going to be a pro rider? Or did you start to get these ideas when you see, you know, the business end of it? When when was that switch for you? So that switch was probably about um, seven years later, sure, <laughs> to be right. honest. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Awesome. kind of skipping ahead on that one a bit. Um, but I, it was at that time, no, I, I still wanted to be, I was dead set on being a professional rider, go to the Olympics, you know, compete at five-star Grand Prix level. That was was my goal probably from like 16 years old until I was probably 27, 28. That was kind of my, that was why I wanted to do. And there was no other kind of avenue to that. And, but I mean, I spent two years in Germany. I loved the time there, but I just realized as well, I, I almost exhausted that situation. I just felt like there wasn't really an opportunity to grow from where I was at because of the way that farm is structured. It's a case of every year is the same, the same, it's repetitive. There's no, just the only difference is new horses come in and new riders come in. There's no, terms of your ability to grow yeah. it, just, it just was limited just based on the way that the model of that sure. business worked um and because of that network i built there i got the opportunity to move to mexico and i spent about a year and a half or so working for another big horse producer in mexico in, in monterrey and again sort of similar type structure we were breeding a lot of horses uh you know one out of every hundred or so ended up going to the olympics or showing a cool. 
high Grand Prix level. So, and I even see, it's funny now, I'm, I'm at the horse show in Wellington and I still see horses that I produced when they were four or five years old yeah. competing here and doing well. And I'm like, I know that horse, I used to ride that. Well, no, <laughs> it so, makes you feel good too, right? It's great to see. It's it's great to see, you know, and I, from where I started. And, and even horses I rode in Germany, there's still, there's a couple that are, are, are jumping, you know, Grand Prix level that I had a hand in when I was younger. So it was, it was great. And I had no experience with the equestrian world before I moved to Palm Beach and it's just like any other animal. They all have personalities. Yep. You know, um, we've, we've done some, um, we filmed some sales videos for people here in the area and she's like, this horse is very particular and you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just really cool to see that at the end of the day, they're, they're living creatures and you, they'll, you know, Oh, have their tendencies yeah the, exactly they're like humans everyone is different there's never one the same they're for sure there's similarities like there's a people there's you know different personality types so you kind of have an idea of how to necessarily go about uh when you have a particular maybe it's a slightly hotter more of a kind of scatty type horse or one that's a little bit calmer and docile you know the same inside with people some yeah. people are calmer by nature and other people are just scatterbrained and running around and so yeah it's you know similarities in aspect I love it. So Mexico to where? Mexico and then to California. And that was my great spot. US. Yeah. Beautiful spot. Yeah. <laughs> so I spent spent some time in Southern California. And that was for me really the point whereby I decided to f- kind of had that shift almost where I saw there was another business angle to the sport. And what was great is from being in Germany and growing up in Europe, I had a lot of connections. I built a really great network of people. So when I moved to California, and I started to see that actually, you know, and the guy I was working with at the time, he focused more on the buying and selling of horses and as opposed to necessarily training clients or anything like that, which is typically the model that most equestrian professionals take where they have a barn and they have a lot of clients they're training and that's kind of the way they make their living is through training. Uh, whereas for me, I'm not really a big fan of training other people. Um, it's just not really something that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, necessarily in the, in, the, in the question world, at least in the business world, I'm, I'm very passionate about training other people. But in the question world, I just for me, it just wasn't the model and the route I wanted to take. And I just saw an opportunity whereby, you know, all of the horses that come over to the US are from Europe. And so I could, just in a few short months of living in California, I could see the type of horses that typically Americans like kind of the, just the make and the, the, the mock-up and sort of how they're bred and the way they go and the way they jump and, and the way they move and ease, rideability and all these different things. So at that point, okay, I started reaching back out to my contacts in Europe and saying, hey, I'm looking for these type of horses. You know, do you know anyone that has anything like this? And then from there, we started to then find those type of horses, ship them over to the US and then work with them a bit, kind of make them sort of Americanize them per se, so get them really for the American market and then we sold them on. And kind of from that moment, I realized, all right, there's a real business angle where I can re- really build a great reputation for myself in the sport in that aspect. And, and at that time as well, I had a horse myself that I ended up going up to kind of national Grand Prix level. So showing national Grand Prix in, in California um, as well as everything else. I was doing a lot in the hunters too and I was buying and selling hunters and equitation horses. So I was kind of involved in all the jumping type equestrian disciplines um but yeah i love i love the show jumping aspect and i was also you know still pursuing that professional sort of competition side of of the sport as well that i want to be in and let, let's see how you transition from that to you know what you're doing modern day here in palm beach yeah so um 
I ended up selling that jumping horse um, and, you know, we got a good offer come in and, you know, I'm not from a wealthy background. So it was like, I couldn't afford to turn it down and it just made sense. So I sold that horse. And then, and you, a lot of professional riders you speak to that don't have that, you know, endless money behind them to keep buying new horses kind of go through this struggle whereby they'll produce a horse to top level, they'll sell it. Great. They'll make a lot of money, but then I've got to replace it. Um, and that's the really hard part. A lot of, you see a lot of really top professional riders thereby they'll be winning everything in the sport for a few years. And then you, you won't see them again for maybe another five, 10 years because they can't replace that type of horse. Yeah. And, and that's a struggle we have today in, in our business, but I'll kind of go to that in a minute. Um, so yeah, I kind of, because that happened, I lost a lot of passion for my riding side of the sport. And then at the time, I also then moved to Wellington of Florida because I knew of it. I'd never been to Wellington prior to that, but I just knew that based on everything I'd heard, photos I'd seen, this is a place I had to come to. And I just jumped straight into it. I didn't really know a lot of people here, but the people I did, I hung around with them and they introduced me to more people. And it just, again, building out the network, same as I did in Germany, as in Mexico, California, and then coming to Florida, I just kept meeting people, kept being at events and networking and, and going from there. And even just from like a relatability factor um, with me and surfing, if I get like a surfboard that I don't love, I like lose a little love for surfing at that moment. You know, I have to like find the right board or, you know, whatever, the right board shorts, whatever it may be. And it's just interesting how, uh, you know, one aspect of your activity can really like if you get a new board, you're going riding, you know. Yep. And it's just probably the same way with, you know everything you get something new you want to use it and it's hard to replace something that was like your golden glove exactly you know definitely definitely so it's yeah it, it was interesting and again at the time we were doing a lot of business in the buying and selling horses and so at that point i just saw that for me the better route was to take of just stepping back from professional riding and it's focused on the business side of the sport and kind of in the mix of that time, you know, I partnered up with Andrew Bournes, my business partner, and then we ended up bringing in this investor uh, with Blackwatch Farms that's then started to, to buy horses with us as well. So it just made more sense for me to focus on the business side and handling those investments for him, you know, the, the investor relations side and just allowing Andrew, who is a phenomenal five-star Grand Prix rider to focus on that side. And I can be, you know, on the ground helping him, giving my perspective and giving ideas and then we'll obviously walk in the courses together and, you know, I can help him just from the ground, which I, I, I honestly, I really enjoy a lot. And it's, we've had a fantastic summer so far. I mean, we've been showing in Kentucky, Michigan. Uh, my horses are all in Kentucky right now. I just came back for the week, but then I go back to Kentucky on Saturday. We got back to Michigan again and we've been placed in every Grand Prix since kind of coming back from COVID. So we're having, we're, it's going really well right now. We're, and, trying to keep that momentum. And even, you know, the the thing that strikes me is the self-awareness of like, this doesn't serve me anymore, you know? Yeah. Like I know who I am and what I want to do and where I want to go. And that seems like you've always let your heart dictate your path, right? Yeah. And the reality is I'm, I'm 29 years old. So if in five years time a horse comes along and I'm like, oh, this this could be something for me. I can jump back into it. I mean, I, I ride every once in a while now and I, I get on our horses when, you know, just between shows or just, just to help out with everything that's going on for it. We're having a busy day and I'll get on our flatter horse for a bit and I'm fine with that. And that's, I'm, I'm totally good just getting on now and again, but 
you know, who knows? Like I say, sure. you never know. Um, things could be different in a few years time and I want to get back in professionally writing again. But right now I just, with everything else going on, it just wouldn't be the right thing to do. There's too many other things in play and too many other businesses that I'm involved in and people that are counting on me for other aspects right now that it just wouldn't make sense to me. And let's touch base on a couple of those other businesses now that you, you know, here in Palm Beach and, and highlight what you've been doing here. Yeah. So, I mean, Palm Beach is just, uh, it's a fun, <laughs> I don't think there's anywhere on the planet like it. It's, nope. it's just an incredible place. And every time I drive on A1A and you go to Mount Bound, uh, so I go down by Mar-a-Lago and you see those properties and it's like 40, 50, 60 million dollar, 100 million dollar properties one off the other. It's just mind blown. Um, but anyway, so... Obviously, on the equestrian side, buying and selling horses to a lot of, you know, very affluent people, we've built up, you know, myself has built up a really great network and a really great trust factor. And, you know, people knowing that they can rely on me to deliver that high level of service. And so I realized with that as well that, you know, these people that are buying horses from us, likelihood is at some point they're either chartering planes, they're chartering yachts, or they're buying planes or yachts or they're looking for other experiences outside of the equestrian realm, you know, the, the high level luxury lifestyle per se. So my, my business partner in this business, um, we run a high-end luxury concierge service. Like I say, we do everything from jet charters, yacht charters, exotic car rentals. We do events, we do estate management. So we work with a lot of snowbirds that, you know, they disappear for the summer. They go up to New York, Chicago, wherever they're from. And we'll go in and check their properties. We'll run the cars. We'll check the mail, make sure the gardeners have been there. Just, you know, just having their eyes on the ground just so they know for five, six months while they're gone that the property is fine and the people are coming and doing the jobs they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, five months and 29 days. <laughs> oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's how it works in, yeah. here in Florida, you know? Yeah. It's for state income tax purposes. Oh, is that what the numbers are? Six, oh, I didn't look six, into that. Six months and one day to be a resident. Oh, there we go. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely perks to living and having a business yep. here in Florida. And I not only that, but it's so desirable with the weather and the location that why yep. wouldn't you want to live here? Like everyone that we've had on the show said, like, if you had the means to live in Palm Beach, why wouldn't Would you? You, yeah. you know? And I look at my life and the last 10 years of my life, I've lived in four different countries and I've lived in multiple locations within all those countries. But f for me now... I can't see myself going anywhere else. Like I love Palm Beach. I love being this area. I love being in Wellington. And so the idea of, you know, I love traveling like we are during the summer, of course. I, I don't think I could be here the whole time in the summer because it would just, with the heat and everything else, it would kill me. But um, just having this as my base, I honestly can't see anywhere on the planet that I would rather be. And the winter here is fun. WEF is going yep. on, mm -hmm. you know, the polos here and Spence introduced me to that world and it's I'm like so into sports and super competitive and now I'm like learning like all the different modalities of riding and because I had no idea the difference of show jumping from dressage to polo before yeah. living here. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of differences, but again, it's all they're all interlinked and yeah, everyone networks together and. You know, everyone, it's, in the day, everyone has a passion for the sport and they love either being involved in it or just spectating in it or just the networking opportunities that you get, especially like Sunday polo and you go up there and 
you're in the VIP area and you get to meet a lot of really interesting people and, and network and, and have some brunch. Have some brunch. Which is that, I mean, I don't want to <laughs> shout out to IBC here, but uh, the brunch is pretty good. Sure. But if you go there, my buddy Lance, he's a he's a good guy. You should you should uh, find him. Yeah, Lance, we're coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's also cool just to I know we're all young professionals here and and picking the brains of very wealthy people and how'd you get there and. And not everybody came from money. So having that drive and, and just relatability with them and asking the right questions and learning, I think has been very valuable for me. And it sounds like valuable for all of us. Yeah, um, it, it's the thing as well. When you when you look at that kind of level of, of successful person that has, you know, done some incredible things and come from humble beginnings, the fact that they are very open to share and open to help and give guidance too. And I've always... Me personally, I've always taken from a standpoint of trying to provide value first when I'm dealing with, well, even anyone actually, honestly, anyone I'm dealing with, meeting with, I always want to figure out how can I help them and what can I do, even if my resources aren't at that kind of level. But there's always, you find there's always something that you can do to help. And even if not, you're setting that expectation or, you know, the precedence that in the future they could come to you if they do need something. But, you know, with that being said as well, I've always taken it from a standpoint of I want to ask questions that are, you know, and it was saying like, oh, how did you do it? Like what? Like you know, the whole it's always yeah. whatever people ask. You know, how did? Oh, like how? Do, or how do I go about making ten million dollars? Like what do I do? And it's like they they get bombarded with those questions every day on either Instagram or in person or whatever. They're like, but if you go and actually ask something specific to you and your situation at that given time, they'll give you all the time in the world, and they want and. You know, they want to help. They want to provide value. They want to share information, and they want other people to succeed. So we have to ask now. Now that you've been in Palm Beach for a little bit, what's some of your favorite restaurants, bars, places that you like to go? And you can name drop. It's all right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Bukan is beautiful. The Breakers is, is you know HMF of the Breakers. That's out of this world. Shucks. That's our favorite tapas. <laughs> yeah, they got the best Brussels sprouts. That's what <laughs> they do actually. Yeah, 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 yeah my yeah, favorite. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah? They've hands down. They've got the best Brussels sprouts in Palm Beach. Yeah, um, I love what's it called? Brick Tops is probably my favorite. Actually, I love Brick Tops. The devil de- devil's eggs there, uh, just with the billionaire bacon. It's like, <laughs> oof. well, now question: uh, Growing up in England, did you guys have like Marmite or did you have Vegemite? <laughs> like, what was your savory toast well, spread? You, you know, of you know the. Uh, <laughs> You know the um, the saying about mama, you either love it or you hate it, right? That was oh, yeah. on all their commercials. Well, I hate it. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm one of those people. Um, so jam? Just jam, yeah. Jam. Strawberry, strawberry jam is typically my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I always, uh, I'll always remember, I'll never forget, uh, in Australia, they gave me a spoonful of Vegemite saying it's just like Nutella. <laughs> They okay, set you, sure. they set you yeah. up for they failure. Really did. Oh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't look at it and see it's probably not quite the same consistency there. <laughs> it's very. It looks very similar. Is it really? Oh yeah. What's that. your feedback? Um, you need a lot of butter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny actually. I was in Publix yesterday in Wellington, and I didn't realize this, but they have a British section. Cool. Do you know about that? No, I, I had no idea, and I thought that was brand new, and I. Put on my Snapchat story. I mean, this like British. It's literally like this big sign of it says British. And they have all these British items. So they have Marmite and they have like a bunch of other like HP sauce and all these cool things. Oh, the brown so, sauce. Like, yeah, the brown sauce. And I was oh, mind man. blown. I'm like, all right, I get, I'll get everything. And then I, a few people like sent me messages like, you know, it's always been there, right? And I'm like, 
What? I've never seen that before. I, I think you're lying to me. Don't ruin it for me, guys. Yeah, don't ruin it for me. <laughs> Make me like an idiot here. <laughs> yeah, one of my uh, best buddies in Australia was from Brighton. And he introduced me to brown sauce. And he like would always want to go to get a steak at a place that had like the brown sauce. And I'm like, you know, whatever. I'm Sure, let's go there. Here for the ride, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> I love it. It's cool. That was always uh, an interesting thing, though, like uh, cafe culture, totally different from America to Commonwealth. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Oh, it is. But I've noticed a lot of, especially in West Palm Beach, like a lot of European themed like coffee shops in in West Palm Beach, like uh, Jonas Joe's, for example, the Swedish going on. Great spot. uh, Which is a great little spot. And then my actually my favorite coffee shop is uh, begins with S. Oh, what's it called? It's on a. It's just off Clematis. Uh, subculture. Called? Subculture. Thank of you. That's course. it. Yeah, yeah. Subculture. That's actually my favorite coffee shop. I yeah, love going the, to work there. The yeah. Albert Einstein on yep. the uh, on the outside. Uh, funny enough, there was a guy that looked like Albert Einstein walked in there. Like when I was there, was it end of last year? Spence used to look like him when oh, he yeah. had his hair grown out. <laughs> that one, oh, maybe it's you. Sorry, yeah. I was I, funny. I was going to say that it probably was me. Yeah. That that actually that picture painting mural has always influenced me and and i really do appreciate it because of the calmness of it yeah and and so just relatability again to einstein and and deep thinkers and people who read a lot i I think that was something that i found myself going to subculture more just for the experience which is a lot of what we're providing here with our businesses and your business and you know they'll get my money more often than anybody else you know even the even though now Pump House is getting my coffee. Oh, I was gonna say you better uh, you better <laughs> tread lightly here. Now they get my money. Yeah. So <laughs> and even them cones and coffee up in you know Jupiter. That's it's one of the best places to go to just cool off, get a cup of Joe, and if you want a little ice cream cone as well. So one well, the lighthouse is right there. Shout out to those boys, you know Christian and Alex, and and everything that they've done for us here and. Um, that's where, you know, a lot of my time and, and money is going to be spent for coffee as well as just recommending them. Um, but going back to the experience, I think that's something that I'd like to touch on because that's something that Mike and I really harp on as, as far as providing that for our clients, you know, um, whether it's a special aromatherapy, a special water, a special white cloth, whatever it is, let's touch on that for, for a little bit of your business. Yeah. I mean, really for all of my businesses, experience is everything and providing that service, attention to detail. And especially when you're dealing with, you know, the the highest wealth in the country. I mean, literally the highest wealth, I'm sure you guys agree, is in Palm Beach. They own property here. They come here in the winter. Um, obviously, probably not even just from the US, but South America, Europe as well. I know a few very successful British people that own property here. They come here in the winter as well. There's, again, as we said, there's nowhere else like it. So... When it comes to the experiences, I mean, there's no there's no budget to what they want. However, what they want needs to be of that service, that level, that attention to detail and that ease and access to that as well. So especially when it comes to the concierge business, it's all about attention to detail. It's knowing, understanding our clients exactly what they need, how they need it and when they're going to want it. And with that being said, we can also, you know, yeah, that's my train of thought. Well, you were uh, you were so saying bef- before we went yeah. on air that like you know you'll get a preference sheet. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me. I used to do nightlife photography, and DJs used to have like a like a run sheet or a preference sheet as well. 
with like, you know, I want a bottle of Grey Goose. Uh, I want like a bag of Cheetos. Like, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. like the lower end. But they 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 know exactly what they like and how they want to live their life. Yeah. And, and it's like, for example, you know, they'll get maybe husband and wife to work with. They'll get on an aircraft. We know the husband is going to sit on the left side of the plane. And the wife is on the right side and she's going to need her um, I iPhone charger because if her phone drops below 90%, she's freaking out. Whereas mm-hmm. the husband, he's going to need a copy of the Wall Street Journal and Forbes or whatever. Like, so it's, uh, you know, again, with the drinks, you know, exactly, you know, if, uh, the, the wife is going to drink uh, gin and tonic with, you know, three ice cubes or in, and one slice of, um, of lemon. That's, yeah. It's all the attention to detail and it's it's got to be seamless as well at the same time. And without them even realizing what's going on, it's just they know it's there and it's ready. And like I say, if they have that ability because they have those resources, they've accumulated that type of wealth that they expect that. And if they don't, you know, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to get that. Well, it's cool too that you've um, you've identified that that you've worked with these people and you've created a relationship and there's other opportunities for you to continue on that relationship, whether it be selling them a horse or helping them, you know, get a sunset cruise on yep. a boat or something, you know? And it's just great that you're just a go-getter, you know? Like, it it's a lot of people get complacent in life, I think. And, you know, with you always moving, putting yourself in new situations, having to meet new people, you know, start at the bottom of the totem pole, work your way up. It's really, really cool. I think that the people that will listen to this episode, even if they're not in the equestrian world, can find some relatability, can find inspiration from you just putting yourself out there, you know? Yeah. And I truly believe that in life, the amount of value you provide to others is ultimately the amount of, you know, what's your worth, whether that, whether you class your worth as the amount of money in the bank or how you feel about when you get up in the morning, whatever you pertain as worth for you, I think it's directly in correlation to how much value you provide to others. Sure. And the more value you provide, the more worth you, I believe that you attain from that. With no expectations of anything. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. That That's honestly the key ingredient, having no expectations, just providing value keep providing, keep providing like you guys are with this podcast, no expectations of anything. But if you touch that one person and it provides a lot of value for them and they end up, you know, being able to make that change or doing the thing that they want to be able to do in life, that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, if someone comes up to us in five years or something and says, I started a podcast because you guys just started drinking White Claw and like shooting <laughs> the ship, that'd be a really cool compliment, you know? Well, and I'd like to touch on that a little bit. It's it's a small world, but two people who I worked with out in California, because of the influence and the conversations like we're having here, actually went to chiropractic school. And cool. and it was just because of our conversations. One's a chiropractor already. The other's going through school now. Yeah. And they're both going to move back to Del Mar. But nice. it, was, it was neat to see that how much we influenced it. And at the time, I didn't realize it. But now when they give me phone calls or they're asking for mentorship advice, that's when I realize it hit, yeah, it hit home. Like just having conversations like this, it's it's the growth for everybody, you know? Yeah, 100%. So what's the next step? You have the farm and you have the concierge business. Where do you see both of those going here in, in Palm Beach County going forward? So on the equestrian side, um, really we'll, we'll keep buying horses with our investors. Um, I'd like to see if we can get maybe two or three more investors that would like to also be involved and 
you know, on, on, a, on putting capital in basis, whether we develop that into some type of fund or syndication type structure, um, but not to the extent of racing where you have, you know, the fractional share ownership in sure. one horse and blah, blah, blah. That's not the way I'd want to do that. I just want to have, a, you know, two to three very close-knit investors that understand the model and want to be involved and love to see the sport as it is. Um, so that I feel like that would be the route I'd love to take with that business. Um, on regarding the concierge side, I would love to, for us to get more involved in actually working directly with owners of aircraft and yachts and working on first of all, like managing their assets for them. So, you know, managing the maintenance schedules, managing their flight itineraries, um, you know, and then also when it's to chartering as well. So whether they put their plane out for charter or their yacht out for charter when they're not using it, yeah. us managing that and then having the access to be able to use that for my other clients as well. And then we'll see that way they're getting, uh, sure. they're creating revenue. They're being able to offset the cost of, of these assets by, you know, utilizing the charter service, which are, we already have the network of people that want to charter. So it's kind of a win-win for literally everyone at that point. So, well, and there's events here, you know, we have the Palm Beach International Boat Show. Yep. Perfect place to go and meet and greet and meet these people that make these boats or the people that buy the boats. Um, it's really amazing. We're, we're in this like epicenter of, you know, an hour to Miami, 20 minutes to Jupiter. There's sports, there's airports. Um, there's really everything here that you could want in terms of a desirable place to live and have a business or make a life. Yeah. I mean, the, it's set up, it's geared for the luxury lifestyle. It's geared for, as you said, all the infrastructure is here to facilitate anything that you could really honestly ever need. Sure. And I'm even going to go to like art, art exhibits. Um, Mike and I went to a, a certain fundraiser and we met this artist and he had a $50,000 piece on the wall. He said, oh, do you guys want it in the studio? <laughs> like, well, I, I don't know if we could even insure that piece, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I it, don't actually. Yeah, so, yeah like, no. <laughs> but it was cool to, like, he was just completely willing to help us, you know, just seeing a bunch of young entrepreneurs come up. And I think that was really cool and a, and a testament to, to Mike and I. And, and it was neat to just meet people in a different, like, art exhibits I've never been to. So it was cool for us to just learn something new as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's a beautiful place to do whatever you want to do here, really. Um, so why don't we give the listeners a chance to find you online? What's your Instagram, your website? Yeah, your MySpace, MySpace, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Instagram is probably the easiest route. It's just Ash, which is A S H, and then my last name Atkinson, which is A T K I N S O N, and the number one after that. Um, LinkedIn was, was Ash Atkinson zero already taken. Uh, I mean, I. It's a good question. It's a great one. I, I should look it up actually. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted Ash Atkinson, but that was taken by someone. So, whatever. So I just put the one. You know. Sure. <laughs> and we know those can always be purchased. Exactly. Oh yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah. a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, I might have to don't look remind into me, that. please. I <laughs> oh, have a story there, I guess. Oh yeah, we had to buy. We bought domains and Instagram yeah. handles and stuff like that. Oh okay. Yeah. Which is also another form of revenue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, intellectual property, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
And then on that Instagram, you have links to the concierge and the farm, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. On that, I have in my bio, I've got the links to, to Blackwatch Farms and to Coppola Concierge. Um, and then I have links to my other bits of you know articles and things like the Yahoo Finance 20 Entrepreneurs to Watch in 2020 articles in there. And is, bunch of is the Coppola related to the wine? Company, no, but we use that as a good. Uh, so yeah, typically, yeah. of our clients, good call, Mike. no, no, it's it's great actually. It works well. Great with the Pinot clients. Noir, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, we we actually give gift bottles of Coppola wine to clients, and they're like, "Oh my god, you got you, you know, is the company related?" We're like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know? but it's great. Again, it's like a memory thing for them, and you know, we'll give them three or four bottles, and then they'll drink them whenever they drink them and then they see our name and like oh wait no i need to book this and i'll give these guys a call again attention to detail attention to detail it's all about attention to detail so love it well is there anyone that you want to thank on the way out um i mean i have incredible parents uh back home that supported me right through everything through the difficult times and then you know with covid i haven't seen them in over a year now so sure which is kind of tough, but I mean, they've supported me through all of this and supported me through moving different countries. And, you know, growing up, there were the horse shows with me and my dad was driving the truck. He was grooming for me. He was setting jumps for me. And so uh, I'm super thankful for my parents that have just really been, I think, a key anchor in my life and getting me to where I am. And even thinking about it kind of makes me well up a little bit. Well, but uh, cool. yeah, sure. my, my goal is actually um, they're going to retire in, in hopefully in Palm Beach. That's that's the kind of goal. They're sixty four and sixty six now, so the next couple of years, yeah, getting, um, getting close. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. So the next couple of years, they're looking to. They're actually looking for a property right now over here. So when all this COVID's blown over, we can start to try and find them a property, and uh, so that'd be amazing for me to get them to actually move over here. I'm very excited for that. I totally have that relatability, though. You know, I don't I don't know how many miles away Australia was, but it was really friggin' far from America <laughs> where it almost takes like two days yeah. to get over here, you know? Um, and same thing like a Mother's Day or a Father's Day, and I'd be like, Oh, you know, miss mom and pops. So it's uh it's cool to see you thank them and I'm sure they miss you too. Yeah, they do. And actually I have this thing where every Sunday my mom and I write emails to each other and it's it's our like weekly thing, like I'll send her an email and then she'll respond. So just you know updates on what's going on i mean i shout with them four or four times four or five times a week anyway but you know it's just traditions you know yeah exactly it's a bit of tradition thing and so yeah they're super proud of what i'm doing and when that article came out and some other things they were you know sending it all to the relatives and well now you came on the most prolific podcast in palm beach county (laughs) as well um but ash we can't thank you enough for coming on the show today and coming to media zone and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see you in here again sometime soon. I would love to. I'm super grateful you guys had me. So thank you so much. It was, boys, a, it was a real boys. pleasure. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers, guys. White Claw, we'll see you soon. <laughs> thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Palm Beach Podcast. Brought to you by Pump House Coffee Roasters 